Our Father, thank you so much that you love us and that you know, uh, Lord, our deepest sentiments, God. You understand our feelings. You understand our situation. You understand our predicaments. And God, you don't just understand it. You are willing to, uh, Father, intervene and carry us and hold us and walk with us and strengthen us for the journey. While you don't often pull us from the waves, God, we can always know that you are there with us in the storms of life. And so, Lord, for these who stood and said, God, I need you in a special way today. I need to experience your power and your sustaining strength in my life. God, I want to ask that you would do that even in this moment. That your spirit would go forth and wrap your loving arms around them and let them know that you are there and that you will walk them through these days. And that, God, that you will uh, be there regardless uh, of the feeling, regardless of the experience, regardless of the grief or even the doubt. And so, Lord, I pray that you would let them know that. That as they feel the hands of their brothers and sisters in Christ, that they would feel the very spirit of the living God flowing through them. And, Lord, we want to thank you for what you'll do. And for those, Father, who are struggling uh, that uh, Lord didn't have the strength to stand. Lord, I pray that you minister grace to them as well. And we give you praise and glory as we recognize you as the God of the universe. In your name I pray, dear Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Rock Point. Today we're going to be in John chapter 1 as we look at the real Christmas story. And I say the real Christmas story because it started long before the manger, long before the nativity scene. Matter of fact, I've entitled the sermon, Atronym and the Real Christmas Story. You might be asking yourself, what in the world is an aptronym? And an aptronym is simply this. Uh, it is a name that's representative of the owner. For example, I looked some up. How about uh, Dr. Bonebreak, who is an orthopedic surgeon? Or Dr. Brain, who is a neurologist. Or Ian Cash, who is a cashier. Or maybe you've known someone named Joy, who's been full of joy. Or someone named Hope, who's been full of hope. It's a title or a name that's representative of the individual. It is indicative of who they are. And we see multiple words and multiple terms Used for Jesus. You see, the reason for that is that he is God and that he is infinite and he is all that we could ever need and all that we could ever hope and more than we could ever imagine. So when God became flesh, which is the real point of Christmas, the real miracle of Christmas, for God to be understood and described, the Bible uses multiple terms. It uses what we might call acronyms that are representative of who Jesus is, but he's much more than any single word could ever contain. As you have your Bibles this morning, look with me in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, as we see what the true meaning 
of Christmas really is. The Bible says in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In the beginning, before the universe started, before man was ever thought of, before anything, the Word, a descriptive term for Jesus, existed. He is pre-existent. Before the manger ever happened, Jesus existed. Now, let me remind you of some very basic theology. First of all, we are Trinitarian in our faith, which we mean, when we say that word, we mean that the three make up what we call God. You see, God is the Father, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. So we believe the Father is God, we believe Jesus is God, and we believe the Holy Spirit is God. So when I say God... I mean Jesus, I mean the Holy Spirit, I mean the Father, okay? So, there are three aspects of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So, if I said, when when people called Jesus God, they were in fact right. If I call the Holy Spirit God, I am right, just as if I call the Father. And that's what we mean by the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. So, one of the words that was used to describe God was the Word, the Word. And the Word itself, Logos in the Greek, is a very rich term, and it, and, it, and it would have been well understood in that day and time. Logos was a term that was used to define God at that point in history, even though it's not a term that we generally use today. Matter of fact, even in the secular world, uh, Heraclitus used the word Logos And he meant, when he said the word logos, and his readers and his followers, it meant the rational principle uh, behind the universe. What is the rational principle behind the universe? It's the logos, whatever that is. Even in that day and time, philosophers and scientists were seeking for what is the meaning of life? Who is the creator? How did we get here? What is our purpose? Uh, Philo of Alexandria said it this way, the logos is the agent of creation. He is the controller of the universe. Whatever the Logos is, it is the agent of creation and the controller of the universe. And the Jews of that day believed very firmly that there was a external God, a God that transcended all of humanity. Uh, and he communicated with humanity through the word. We know the word of this point is, has been the essence of God, has been communicated through the prophets and through the, the great fathers of the faith. But now it is in writing, and now the great miracle happens. The great miracle is this, is that God will come to earth and become flesh. Not, for, not that he didn't exist before, but now that he has chose to come in the form of man. So when John uses this word, it has... Great meaning. In the beginning, before anything existed, was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. They are integral. They are intimate. They are as one. And the Word, or Logos, or Jesus, was God. Now, that's very important right there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus was God. 
what's significant about that is that there are some who take the translation and they make it. Matter of fact, the New World Translation, which is uh, is the Jehovah Witness translation, they take that and they say was a God with a little G. Because what they believe, they believe a old, old controversy. Back in the third and fourth century, there was this controversy uh, between Arianism and uh, what we would call Orthodox Christianity. And there was a guy named Arius who debated uh, one of the great fathers, Athanasius, matter of fact, considered the father of orthodoxy, uh, the father of doctrine. And Arius came up with this heretical belief, and he believed that Jesus uh, was just a little God, little g. And he believed that God created Jesus after the fact, and that because he was a little God, because he was more of not the same God, he believed uh, it caused, well, matter of fact, it caused great ramifications. Uh, he believed he was not on par and he was not uh, part of the Trinity, so to speak. He was not the God. Now, the way he did that is he interpreted it this way. Uh, homoousios is the, the Greek word uh, that's used here. And uh, homoousios means the same. Or homo means the same. We know that even our terminology today. Homo means the same. But homoi means similar. So similar God. Uh, but we believe in homoousios, which means the same God. And that's the way we interpret the word. But homoi means similar. So what's the difference between having a similar God and the same God? Well, a similar God, let me give you an illustration. I had a friend one time, because uh, he got, I always wear cheap imitation watches. And I think he just felt sorry for me. So uh, several years back, he, he gave me a real tag. I'd never had one in my life. I don't even think I really had a real watch in my life before. Uh, I've always had some kind of knockoff brands. I always had these $10 watches. I had a, uh, back when I was single, I had a roommate who would get them for me in New York for $10 off the street. And I would wear them, and they'd fall apart, and I'd get another one. Uh, and uh, I was still doing that little dog and pony show. And um, he decided to get me a real one. And, and uh, matter of fact, now, um, every once in a while, Bob Lines or, or Brian, one, one of these guys will get me one in China. Uh, they'll get me a tag, and they'll say, tag here on it. <clears throat> and it'll say the same, and it, and, uh, it kind of looks the same. This, these two are different uh, color, but they'll say the same, but there's a difference. This one's similar, but it ain't the same. Matter of fact, I go through, I, these last about six to nine months. Matter of fact, I mean, everything just starts falling off, doesn't work. And there's no sense in taking a new, new battery because the battery costs more than the watch does. So, uh, so I, I don't even need one, okay? This is similar, but this is the real thing. You know why? Because of the substance it is made of. If you felt it, you could tell a big difference. Really, you can tell almost looking at it. It's because of the substance. We believe the substance of who Christ is, is God in the flesh. He's not similar. Jesus was not similar to the Father, but he was of the same substance. So as we read this text, that is a huge issue. And that is exactly what's being communicated to us here. As we continue, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was... With God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Since he was pre-existent, he is eternal. 
All things were made. Heaven and earth was made. Matter of fact, when we stood up here today and we recited our creed, we said, I believe in God, the creator of heaven and earth. It's the doctrine of creation. We believe firmly in the doctrine of creation. You've seen in the news lately in the papers, uh, there's this new thing out called, uh, that scientists are looking at called the God particle. Matter of fact, scientists don't really call it that. Uh, it's the media has taken up this term and they call it the God particle. And supposedly, uh, they are about a year away from proving that this particle, uh, combined with 16 other particles, could actually create substance or mass. It could create mass. And they go, okay, now we figured out how the world was made. These substances came together and, and, and it's possible. So it, it still doesn't uh, give an account for the cause, how that all uh, started, where those particles came from. So it doesn't change. Even if they find that, it, it won't change the truth. And as a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't really deal with how the earth was created. It doesn't try to list subatomic particles and give you that information. Okay, we just know in the beginning God created Okay, and the Bible is more concerned with you understanding the purpose for creation, the reason that we were created, that mankind was made for God, that he might have fellowship with God, that he might know his creator and that we might bring him glory. That is the purpose of the Bible. But we know that God created and he says here, and we know that from this word, we know this from Genesis. As a matter of fact, there's a playoff on Genesis. He says, without him, nothing was made. It has been made. And in him was life. We know in Genesis, God made life. And we know that Genesis, in Genesis, God made light, the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And there came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. Okay, so let's stop for just a moment, and let's talk about the creation. We talked about the importance of that word, importance of that term. We is the first line of our confession uh, of the Apostles' Creed. What is the creation? Okay, well, here's what we know the Bible teaches us about Creation. It teaches us at least four things about creation. First of all, uh, that creation is real, that the universe is real, that mankind is real. Number two, that it is good. Number three, that it has been designed. And number four, that it's finite. Creation is real, it's good, it's designed, and it's finite. Now, what do I mean when I say that it's real? Well, there is a belief called pantheism that's been around for thousands of years. And pantheists believe that the universe and the world that we live in is simply uh, is simply a mirage, so to speak. Okay? It's an illusion and it's not real. Matter of fact, a great movie that I that I enjoyed that shows you a great picture of this is The Matrix. If you saw the movie The Matrix uh, he was able to transcend the the illusion of the world into his own reality. And when you're able to transcend that, you can dodge bullets, uh, you can fly, you can do whatever you want if you transcend this world. And so, um, so he was able to do that. And there's the belief that at some point, if you're a pantheist, that you will be able to transcend and you'll be able to rise above the illusion of the world. But the Bible teaches us that. The universe is real. God created a real universe. It's not just an illusion. Secondly, not only is it real, but it's good. God created it and he said, it is good. 
Many people believe it's not good. Many people will believe, hey, we have to make the world a good place. We have to make earth a good place. We have to do it. They're kind of almost the legalist mentality. Let us do it and let us make things right. It's up to mankind to make it good. As a matter of fact, the reason it's not good because we're not being good. But the Bible says that God created the earth and it was good. Now, mankind has a sin nature. But it's not the earth itself that's not good. Number three, not only is it real, not only is it good, but it is also designed. It goes back to that term design, that there was a designer as opposed uh, to the belief of secularism. There is no design. There is no designer. There is no creator. If we can just prove this God part, that'll show there's no creation. There's no God. There's no design. And there's no purpose. We were all an accident. <clears throat> nothing. Uh, there's n- no one or nothing to give credit to. There's no right or wrong. There's no purpose. Just the world was created completely at random by accident. And so there is no place to point. And once you live this life and die, that's the end of it. And that's secularism. Uh, matter of fact, Christopher Hitchens, the great atheist, uh, just died this past week. And, and it was interesting. Uh, he didn't convert by any means, but it was interesting. He said, you know, he told uh, Dawkins, who is one of the foremost atheists in the world, uh, Richard Dawkins, he said, you know, I don't know what it is, but even if I could convince, even if there, I could convince everyone there was no God and that they should deny all religion, especially Christianity, he goes, you know, I don't know that I would do that. He said, I know I spent my life doing that, but he said, I don't know that if I actually could make everyone believe like me and see that there is no God. He goes, I don't know that I would do it. And Dr. says, why? He goes, I'm not sure. I just I just wouldn't. It's interesting. Because you know why? Because he was created. He was designed. And as he came to the end of his life, although he did not confess, he he knew there's something more then this is just an old, a random mistake. Matter of fact, if you believe that position, then you can't defend right or wrong. You don't get to say, well, killing drugs. Who says? There's no designer. There's no point. We're all an accident. Who says? Society? Is that the judge is in the culture? The, the city that you live in? The mayor? The governor? Who says? There must be a creator. And that's why the Bible clearly gives us that understanding. In the beginning was God was the Word. So we know not only is the world real and good and design, it's finite, as opposed to paganism. Paganism forever. Worship the beauty. Worship the mountains. Worship the sea. Worship the sky. Worship the sun. Worship the earth. Worship all these things that were made by the Creator but are not the Creator themselves. And it's the circle of life. We all come a part of it. But you see, the world in itself is finite. It's not infinite. It's finite. God created it. Real. Good. Designed. And finite. And that helps us to understand in verse 9, the true light gives light to every man who is coming into the real world, into the good world, and into a design world, into a finite world. And God is about to become flesh. He was in the world and through the world. Though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. The children born not of natural sin, not of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. So that's the great miracle of Christmas, that God became flesh. And then he came here and some rejected him. Some that already had their preconceived notions and their religion and their minds already made up. They did. But isn't it miraculous that Jesus, who became flesh, God who became flesh and dwelt among us, that those, particularly Jews, who believed, remember that there's a God outside of this earth, who that's whom they worship, that they would believe he would come to earth. And all it would have taken was to see him sin one time, see him make one mistake. But those who lived with him and watched him, they saw him heal the sick, raise the dead. They saw him handle every situation perfectly. We're talking about 12 men that were with him day and night. And at the end of that time, they believed. We're talking about a man who was placed in a grave. And on the third day, he rose again. <clears throat> and in his resurrected body, really appeared. Because he was God. And John testifies, excuse me, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. Dwelling, it literally means uh, to pitch your tent. It's a representative of the Old Testament of when the tabernacle, uh, the tent uh, that was taken with him through the desert in the, the dwelling place of God. And he's saying now he's going to dwell among us. And we have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who at the Father's side has made him known. Now, it says no one has ever seen God. Of course, we go back in the Old Testament. We know that Moses caught a glimpse of God. We know that Adam did. Elijah did. But what's interesting there is all they caught was a glimpse. They just saw a speck of God. No one has experienced God in all of his glory. But for those who know him, they will experience him in God in all of his glory, came in flesh so that we might know him, that we might experience him. So the point of Christmas is just that, that God has come, that he has come in the flesh, that he has come and brought salvation. And the truth of it is we can either hate that, hate him, and ignore it, and say, that's, I hate that. I, I hate the religion. I hate all that stuff. It just drives me crazy. We can fear it. Or we can bow down and worship Him. Those are our three options. Hate Him or run away from Him or bow down and worship Him. And because God came in the flesh, because He loved us so much, because He wanted to so connect with us, and have us know Him and experience Him and experience life and salvation and experience our ultimate purpose, which is to bring Him glory. He is described 
in multiple ways through scriptures. There are multiple ways that we know him and can know him today. And I want to give you from scripture the names of Jesus. Jesus is the almighty in Revelations 1.8, the Alpha and the Omega. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, he is the author and finisher of our faith. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, he is our beloved. In Isaiah 11.1, 1, he is the branch that was prophesied. In John 6.35, he is the bread of life. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 15, he is the bridegroom. In Revelations chapter 22, verse 16, he is the bright and morning star. In Luke chapter 23, verse 35, he is the chosen one. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, he is the chief cornerstone. In John chapter 10, verse 9, he is the gate and the door. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he is Emmanuel, God with us. In Isaiah 9, 6, he is the eternal father. In Revelation 3, 14, he is the faithful and true witness. In John chapter 1, verse 1, he is God. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, he is the head of the church. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, he is our high priest and apostle. In Mark chapter 1, verse 24, he is the Holy One. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, he is our hope. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. In Matthew 21, he is called Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. Yeshua, one who saves. John 5.22, he is the judge and the ruler. In Revelation 7.14, he is the king of kings. In John chapter 1, verse 29, he is the lamb of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, he is the last Adam. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he is the light of the world. In Revelation 5, 5, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. In John chapter 7, verse 38, he is the living water and the spirit. In Revelation 19, 16, he is the Lord of lords. In Matthew 8, verse 19, he is a master. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, he is the messenger of the covenant. In John chapter 1, verse 41, he is the Messiah. In Isaiah 9, 6, he is the Prince of Peace. In Job 19, 25, he is our Redeemer. In John chapter 11, verse 25, he is the resurrection and the life. In 1 John 4, 14, he is our Savior. In 1 Peter 2, 25, he is our Shepherd. In John 14, 27, he is our Peace, or Shiloh, which means Peace. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, He is the Son of God. In John 15, 1, He is the true vine. In John 14, 6, He is the way, the truth, and the life. In 1 Corinthians 1, 30, He is the wisdom of God. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, He is the wonderful counselor. In John chapter 1, verse 14, He is the Word. And in Isaiah 40, verse 3, He is Yahweh, the God of the universe. In John chapter 8, the Bible tells us, Before Abraham was, 
I am. I am the holy name of God. And from that point, they sought to kill him because he made himself equal with God because he was God in flesh. The miracle of Christmas is that God became man while fully God, he became fully flesh, that he might sacrifice his life and atone for our sins. It's so important that he be God, because if he was simply a little God, he could not atone for our sins against the infinite and holy God of the universe. A little God couldn't do that. It had to be the God who could pay the price for our sins. And that is the gift we've been given this Christmas. Do you know that God? Do you know that Savior? If not, I want to invite you to know him today. Let's pray. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, if you've never trusted the God of the universe who came and gave his life on Calvary so that you might be forgiven by transferring your trust to him and accepting him as your Lord and God, then I want to invite you to ask him to come into your life today, forgive you of your sins and make him your God. And then make that known today, um, either in our our welcome room or our checking in and letting us know. But make sure you know the real meaning of Christmas. And if you don't know Christ, then you don't know Christmas. And it's all just a random chance holiday. But it is a real day. It is a real God. And it is a real reason to celebrate a real miracle that God became man. We're going to celebrate and worship and remember through the table of the Lord in our experience of communion at this time. So I ask that you prepare your heart. That you give praise to the God of the universe for all that He's done and for all that He is for you and to you. And if you don't know Him, then I ask that you bow your knee and you invite Him into your life and ask Him to forgive you of your sins. That you're not trusting in a pantheistic view or a secular view or in a legalistic view. You're not trusting in a pagan view, but and a biblical view that God, the God of the universe, came to us, gave himself, and sacrificed, had himself sacrificed that we might know the reality of life, the reality of our purpose of existence here on earth, to bring him glory and to know him. Pray that prayer if you've not done so. Prepare your heart for a time of communion.